This is the EWN Radio Network. This is Close Up with Phyllis Smith. And welcome to Close Up. I'm so glad to have you today. So, you know, we hear about positive, having a positive outlook on life, a positive perspective. But, you know, it doesn't just affect your personal life. But it could, it could also, and this is like really the important thing, is that it can also impact your bottom line. Joining us today are two women who know a thing or two about this. They are the co-authors of a book called Profit from the Positive. So please welcome Margaret Greenberg and Senya Maiman. Margaret, can you just say a hey so that we know it's you? Sure. This is Margaret. Hey, Margaret and Senya. This is Senya, and we're delighted to be here with you, Phyllis. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time today. So, you know, positive thinking isn't necessarily a new concept, right? But what seems to be trending more, and it's fairly new, but but getting much more popular, is this concept of positive psychology. Senya, can you explain how it came about and exactly what is it? Sure. Let me tell you a story that I think the women and men who are listening to this will really relate to. As a business owner or someone who runs something, you know how important it is to share the vision for what you're running. As a business owner, you know that. And this change of vision happened in psychology in 1998. So just like the CEO of a company, in 1998, there was a new head of the American Psychological Association. This new head of the APA was Dr. Martin Seligman, and Margaret and I were both fortunate enough to study under him. When he was head of the APA, he looked around and he, just like a good CEO, and said, what's working in the field of psychology and what's not working? And he looked around and he saw, because he'd been in the field for 20, 30 years, that we are really good in psychology at studying what goes wrong. This is called the disease model. We are so good at it. But he looked back historically and said, what happened? Psychology was also supposed to study high genius and how are regular people doing things well? How are people being productive? How are people being effective at what they do? How do people have great marriages? How do people have great emotional lives? And he just looked around and said, that has been missing. So he made a huge call to action and said, let us, and people have been studying things like this, but he said, let's band together together. Let's start with a couple of colleagues. He said, let's start this area of positive psychology, focusing on what's really going well. So that is the the background from which we come to live. So, Margaret, we've heard about positive thinking, right? But that this positive psychology is not positive thinking. What's the difference? There's a big difference. Um, positive psychology is not positive thinking or saying a you know a gratitude mantra, um, turning lemons into lemonades. It's not about that. What positive psychology is is really the research. And positive psychology researchers, we study topics such as productivity, resilience, what motivates people, um, optimism, collaboration. We study topics like that. And in short, we seek answers to questions that every business leader wrestles with, such as, you know, how can I increase the productivity uh, without adding to staff? 
how can I get my team to collaborate or, or step up its game? Or how do I, you know, motivate people to perform at their very best? So we try to bring the research to those common business problems. So it's you, the study you, of what's right, as Senya mentioned. I love. I actually love that the study of what's right. You're both business so think coaches. Of it this, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, so think of it this way. We like to think of it um, as a metaphor. If um, you were an architect who builds bridges, would you study all the bridges that have withstood the test of time, or would you study all the bridges that have collapsed? Mm. Well, chances are you would study both, right, to be a really effective Mm -hmm. architect. Um, But in business, we are really good at studying what's wrong and fixing mm. it, but we're not so good at looking for what's going right and how we can replicate and do even more of that. So both of you are business coaches, am I correct? Yes. As, correct. as, as well as authors. So, Sonia, so once you started applying this positive psychology, what kind of changes did you see in some of your cli- in your clients? There are a lot of things that we want to accomplish in our lives. And often we're just running through the hamster wheel and we're trying to get things done and we don't have time to step back and really focus on where we want to go, career-wise, life-wise. And positive psychology as a tool, it's a set of features. It's one of the tools I use. It helps us get there. Margaret and I are really results-driven, so I'll give you two examples. One is we're coaches and we do workshops. Sometimes the HR department will bring us in to to run a workshop for the entire company. One such workshop that we did for 200 people at a technology company, we came in, we talked to them about something that you might think is a dry topic, Phyllis. We talked to them about productivity. Mm-hmm. And they got so jazzed up by, by the idea that they really don't have to do everything, that they could automate some of what they're doing. They just really got jazzed up by the topics. And we made it interactive and we had them talk to each other. They got so jazzed up that here are the two comments we heard afterwards. They went to the HR independently. People went up to the HR department and said, whoa, you guys are now starting to have such amazing talks. Oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh, you're having such great talks here on campus. And the second comment is that same afternoon, this company had brought in the band train for the the team, for the whole company. And and someone said, that... Profitability, that how to be how to be productive talk by the profit from the positive women, that was better than the train concert. Oh my gosh. Wow. What do you think so Margaret, we, what do you what do you think is resonating with them, Margaret? I think when companies often have speakers come in, they they talk a good game, but it's all talk, it's all theory. And we never get down to, so what can I do differently today, this afternoon, right now? And so we translate the positive psychology research into over two dozen tools that people can actually use that afternoon. So the application of it, I think, is why people have responded so positively um, to our work. Many, Sandra, did you want to say something? Yeah, Phyllis, I just wanted to add something. When we had first uh, connected with our editor at McGraw-Hill Professional, the woman who ended up publishing our book, she said the reason she wanted to publish our book was because she thought about it as, these are things I can implement after lunch. Ah, I love that. Uh, so so given that, it's it's like what you're saying, it's, it's pretty simple, but the, sh- the shocking thing is that 
is that we kind of live in a place, so many of us, where we where it's it's simple. It's right there. It doesn't cost any money necessarily to have positive, you know, to apply the positive psychology. But yet we, you know, we take you guys coming in and writing a book to teach us how to use it. Isn't that just fascinating? Do you think that human beings just tend to be, is it is it our culture? Do we tend to look at the negative? I mean, what is it that, that um, where we're not seeing the light unless we're shown the light? Well, I'll take part of this, and then Margaret can jump in. Uh, Phyllis, you know how when your friend comes to you for advice, you know everything that she or he should do. You know what the right solution is. But if you have that same problem, you have no idea what you should do. And when you go to that friend, that friend can make some suggestions to you. It's that both being the author and the editor at the same time of our lives. It's tricky. So it's a real tension that we have. Margaret, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say um, there's something called negativity bias that we tend to look for what's wrong. Uh, We tend to um, make things maybe bigger than they really are or more difficult than they really are. And one of my favorite coaching questions to ask clients, I just asked it an hour ago in a call, was, you know, well, what if this was really easy? What would you Mm. do? And in Profit from the Positive, we talk about the uh, the one, five, smallest principle, meaning what could you do to be more productive or to be more effective by just 1%? Or mm. how could you move this along if you just spent five minutes? Or the smallest is what's the smallest change you could make right now that would have the biggest positive impact? So we're all about trying to get our clients to identify things that are within their sphere of control that they can do and implement, like right now, to make them better leaders. Mm. You know, many of our of the eWomen Network members are coaches, like yourself. Um, some of them might have a few people working for them, but some of them, many of them are solopreneurs. So would your positive psychology, how would that apply to a solopreneur? Yeah, I'll start. Oh, this is Margaret, and I would say the first part of the book is all about you as a leader, and that can be a leader of a Fortune 100 company. That can be a leader of a company with five people. That can be a solo entrepreneur, as you said, and it, we've even heard it can be a leader of a family, uh, a mm. a parent who actually stays home and doesn't work, uh, has read our book, and said that the first part of the book applied even to them as a leader in their family or a leader in their community. Mm. So I would say as, as a business owner myself um, and Senya, we actually got to apply these tools to ourselves as we wrote the book, and we can go into that more later. Um, but these tools apply whether you lead five people, 5,000, or just lead yourself, especially in the first part of the book. Senya? Yeah, I, uh, I'll add, piggyback on what Margaret's saying. It's about doing what you can do, so taking those small steps. We say that near the front of the book. We say that in the summary at the end of the book. If you can think of a small step today and you can think of a small step tomorrow, it's like interest at the bank. You're building in the direction that you want to move in. And solopreneurs really know that if they forget about business development for a week, 
that's an entire week of follow-ups. That's not going to happen next week. Things like that. Right. So, you know, there there is still, I mean, we see it in the movies all the time, this misnomer that, you know, the greedy business owner of, of Wall Street, right? Um, or the corporate giant is the evil monster that steals from the poor, you know, or abuses their employees for their profit, you know, for their benefit, you know, kind of that Charles Dickens, uh, you know, the haves and the have-nots. But you're, in your book, Profit from the Positive, you really turn that concept on its ear. Um, and so I'd just like to, just sort of in general, we're going to go into detail very, uh, shortly, but in, in general, um, what, what have, how does this positive psychology, I mean, going from that, you know, the evil corporate owner to somebody that it doesn't take evil and mean and, and negativity and, and anger and, and, and uh, you know, force, forcing a, an employee to do something that they don't want to do. It doesn't really take that. You really flip it around in your book. So um, how... Yeah, you know, I'd in, be happy to start. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, this is Senya. Go ahead, Senya. I'm a, capi- I'm a capitalist, and I believe in capitalism, and I think it's great that businesses are doing what businesses can do that individuals are not able to do, that businesses are building things, making technology, serving others. And one thing that Margaret and I thought a lot, a lot about when we were writing the book is really it starts with the title, Profit from the Positive. We want people to profit. We want people to profit financially, mentally, emotionally. We want people to feel that they're profiting and that it's good. It's great to profit. How? Profit from the positive, from these things that you otherwise wouldn't know unless you're a research scientist these tools in positive psychology on resilience, on productivity, on building your habits. So we want people to profit. And I'll give you one little inkling about the book for, for our listeners, which is about the word happy. We actually mm. do, not, do not use the word happy, and we are very conscious to not use the word happy. Our goal is not happy employees. Our goal is great businesses that people feel great being a part of. So we really, really consciously think, this isn't to make everybody have smiley faces. This is to get real businesses to do really great work and to have the employees feel really great about doing the great work. Great businesses that people want to be a part of. We're going to get into that in more detail coming up right after the short break. Thank you, ladies. Stand by. And uh, we're going to get into the trickle-down positive psychology effect. And it all starts, as you said earlier, with the leader. So stand by. Coming right back after the short break. Are you an entrepreneur, coach, or consultant who is tired of constantly searching for the next client? Are you ready to get your expertise out of your head, into the world, and packaged into a profitable online course that delivers a steady stream of your perfect ideal clients to your door and a steady, predictable source of revenue? Hi, this is Janine Blackwell, creator of Create Six Figure Courses Virtual Bootcamp, and I've created my own seven-figure courses, and I've walked hundreds of experts like you through the step-by-step of creating and launching a profitable online course. I'd like to invite you to a free online training I'm hosting for you called The Seven Steps to Creating and Launching Your Profitable Online Course. I'm going to show you exactly how to create your course, market your course, and automate delivery of it so you can get your course up and running fast and have it work for you 24-7. You can grab your spot for this free training at www.createmyonlinecourse.com 
So join me at www.createmyonlinecourse.com. You're listening to Close Up with Phyllis Smith. And welcome back to Close Up. I'm Phyllis Smith, and I'm speaking with a couple of really brilliant, fabulous ladies um, sharing their wisdom about uh, positive psychology. Margaret Greenberg and Senya Maiman, they co-authored a book that is called Profit from the Positive. And something, Senya, that you brought up right before we went to the break when you talked about we want people to profit, we want businesses to profit, we want um, we want people to profit financially, mentally, even physically. What I love about the word profit is, is that it, it encompasses more than just putting more money in your pocket. True, completely true. I love it. Okay, so in your book, the whole, really almost half of it, is uh, deals with the first thing, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, when it comes to profiting from the positive, you say it all starts with the leader. And whether you're in business or you're the leader of your family, you, uh, there, you know, we all kind of, you can break down our leadership uh, technique or behavior or type. Uh, you break it down into four different types. So, um, uh, Margaret, if you can start with the first one, the productive leader, and explain what that is and how we h- how we can turn to ourselves and say, "Am I that?" Or way we might be one of the one of the four. So, one of the other three. I'd be happy to, Phyllis. So, the productive leader. Um, Senya and I both believe that in order to get other people to follow you, you really have to be a, a strong leader yourself and be able to lead yourself. And part of that is being productive. So we offer um, three or actually four tools in that uh, particular chapter, and it's way more than time management. So, for example, we've all heard the Nike mantra, right, of just do it. Well, guess Mm -hmm. what? One of the things we know from research is that if we just plan it, if we just spend 15 minutes either at the end of the day or the start of our day to plan out our day, we'll be much more effective. Another thing that we know is that um, there's something called uh, flip-flop costs. When we switch between activities, it actually negatively impacts our productivity. So let's imagine, Phyllis, you're sitting at your desk and you're working on a script for one of your shows, and all of a sudden an email comes in and you reply to it. And then you go back to working on your script. And then you do some more. Next thing you know, a text comes in and Uh. you reply to your friend, right? And you get sidetracked. And what happens is it takes longer for us to actually get back to our work and focus on what we were what we were working on than if we had just stayed with that one task. So we call that flip-flop costs. So there's, there's tools uh, in this particular chapter to help people not uh, to flip-flop but stay focused, be more productive, and get more work done without working more hours. Frankly, I think you're sitting in my office. I mean that happens to me all the time, and and really if if it's not an email or a phone call, it's a person, you know. And and especially I'm in a creative. I also produce all of our uh, e- marketing videos for E Women Network, and I'm and you know what it's like when you're in that creative stage, that creative state of mind, and then you get interrupted. It's like 
damn, where was I? It's, you're right. It's it's very hard. So so the idea of multitasking is a bunch of hooey, right? That is a myth. Two percent of the world can do it. Literally two percent of the world. And all the three of us on this phone call are not in that two percent. <laughs> Okay, so Sanya, the next kind of leader, the resilient leader, tell us about what are the traits or the characteristics of that? We can all be a resilient leader, and we can all be more of a resilient leader. So things come at us all the time, business deals that fall through, relationships that uh, hit an era, a time when it seems a little dicey, and we can be resilient to these bad events. So I'll share one with you, one in particular. The concept of how do you react when something bad happens? Do you start to think, okay, well, I'm an expert. I should be able to handle this. I've got this under control. Let me show everyone what I can do. Or can you put on your learning hat, your learner's mindset hat, and think, what can I learn from this situation? What can I learn from someone who's more junior than me? What can I learn from a millennial if I'm not a millennial? What can I learn from this specific situation? What can I learn from this mistake? And what Margaret and I have found both from the research and from actual businesses that do this is leaders that encourage failing, that encourage taking risks, just have teams that are so much more willing to follow them. They're so much more willing to do more for the business. So we super encourage a learner over an expert mindset. Do you think sometimes, though, there are people who the, the lack of resilience is that fear of failure? I mean, how do you take someone like that and turn them into a resilient leader and not one that 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 does works and operates based on fear. Yeah, I'd say fail small first. So fail mm-hmm. small and see that it's actually okay to fail. But find a place where you don't don't fail with the biggest thing. Don't fail with your five million dollar account. Fail small. Start okay. that way. I'll. Uh, I'll uh, did, have you heard the story of Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, and her uh, her story about failing? Uh, she actually was a speaker at E-Women, but I'm not, I, I don't know that I've heard this. What, when she would come home from high school, her dad would ask her, and I think her brother, mm. what did you fail at today? And he would actually get upset if she didn't fail at things. So she had to keep failing and keep trying. What a great mm. role model. Huh? I love that. I do remember her. I, I do remember her saying that. That was that's something else. Okay, so um, moving on, uh, Margaret, um, what about the contagious leader? Uh, that's probably one of my favorites. When we talk about the contagious leader, what we really need to remember is that our emotions, both positive and negative, are highly contagious. Mm. So I like to say, you know, germs and colds aren't the only things we spread in the workplace, right? Our emotions are just as contagious. And there's actually a hierarchy uh, component to emotions, meaning that our the boss, the boss's emotions are much more contagious than the employee's. So there's this status component to it. So we like to call it uh, the recognize the achoo effect uh, mm. is one of the tools. And to notice just what an impact your emotions can have on people. So when you walk into the office or your workplace uh, in the morning, be really cognizant of what are you projecting. Are you coming in irritated, maybe because you just got stuck in traffic? Are you coming in worried about what the day is ahead? Or are you coming in with, you know, really excited to be there and happy to see the people that you work with and work um, for and work with you? Um, So being really mindful of that. And if you 
you know, we don't want people to think that you're supposed to be in a, you know, a good mood all the time. I mean, stuff happens, you know, Phyllis, where, you know, we might be upset about something or or angry or frustrated. But the question becomes, how do you tame that emotion so that it doesn't consume you and adversely impact members of your your team? So we call it, you know, tame your Oscar the Grouch if you need to Mm. by doing things like, going for a walk and talk, you know, the worst thing you can do is just sit at your desk or, or flop on the couch when you get home, um, but to get up and walk and move your body. Another thing you can do is, you know, take long, deep breaths to just kind of get you in that, that relaxed state. And then, of course, um, there's always what we call label your emotions. When we actually can label and name what it is that we're feeling, it has a way of, of dissipating um, so really, really, the takeaway for your listeners is really be mindful of what are you projecting when you, you know, come into the workplace every day. You know, it's it's interesting. There was um, I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve, and um, I there was uh, a time when I was would uh, every once in a while, like I wouldn't say I would things would bottle up and and I would just kind of blah, you know, when you pop a balloon. And I would just, blah, you know, say something, and it was in a tone that wasn't, you know, and it was too loud or uh, or harsh. You know, I'm from New York, so, you know, what can I tell you? I can be loud and harsh. And um, and finally, and, and, you know, I work, I was working really hard and contributing a lot on that level, but yet I was called on that. Um, Elma, and I got all offended, like, what do you mean? Everything else I've done, you don't even recognize it. That's all you're, you're seeing. And so, of course, my friends were all like, oh, I can't believe they don't see that. And they were all on my, you know, my coat, my side, whatever. But then I had a friend, a very, one of the smartest people I know. He's a scientist. And um, I was out in California visiting. His wife is one of my closest friends. And I told him this story. And he says, you know, Phyllis, the bottom line is you just can't act like that at work. You just can't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah. so... And it wasn't until he said that that I was really... take. I was able to take the emotion out of it and say, you know, there's a place for everything. You know? And so, I, in a way, I feel when you say, you know, when you come to work, check yourself and just know that is not the place for you to act out or lash out. And if you have those feelings... It doesn't mean you shouldn't, but you need to remove yourself and get a grip. Am correct. I correct in that? Yeah. What a great personal story, Phyllis. And wow, what a what a wise um, friend too. Yeah, I know. I was like, thank you, Gabe. Um, so uh, yeah, nobody else ever. You know, it's like you love your friends, and they'll love you for whatever you do. You can, you can be the who knows. You could be the worst person, and they'll love you anyway. It just takes a scientist, right, to really set you straight. So, um, and there's one more, one more leader here, um, uh, the strengths-based leader. So tell us about that. Yes, yeah, happily. Uh, yes. Uh, it's, uh, again, Phyllis, I echo what Margaret just said. That's, that's a really good example of you being vulnerable and saying, here is where I was truly messing up. Here's somebody who's told me, who opened my eyes more directly than my close friends were opening my eyes. And here's how I changed it. That's that's a, a very nice aspect of a leader. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> so tell us about the strength. strength-based leader. Yeah, strength. 
what's the pro- why aren't we always saying okay this person is great at this let me find a way for this person to do even more of this why aren't we doing that why aren't we all strength based it's going to make the person doing the work happier including us and it's going to make the person doing the work including us more productive and more effective so why don't we do that oh we have so many psychological tendencies against focusing on strengths first of all we're people that like to solve problems we all love to solve problems and it is not so hard to treat an employee as a problem to solve so how do we solve this how do we uh, how can we help our colleague with this how can we help them be better and like margaret mentioned before we're just hardwired to the negative so we it is easy for us to spot the faults but we get so much more out of not spotting the faults. One thing that Margaret and I wrote, Profit from the Positive, we went out to our closest colleagues and uh, best clients, the clients that we'd seen make the most progress, and we asked, what are your biggest burning business questions? And one of the biggest questions we got was, how can you help me get the most out of my team, get the most out of my employees? I really want to get the most out of them. And Margaret and I stepped back and said, do we really have an answer to that? And then we said, hold on. That's not really the right question. We don't mm-hmm. want to answer how can I how can I squeeze them like a vice? How can I get the most out of them? We want to answer the question of how can I get the best out of them? How can we do the best for them? Mm-hmm. How can they be feeling the best at work and doing their best work? And that's that's what being a strength based leader is about. It's and- about focusing on what's really working for these people, for everybody on your team. So it's important because you know when you're especially you know entrepreneurs we get we we live in a small place you know we all wear many different hats and so let's say some of us might have a, just a couple of employees you know two three maybe one um, that is wearing you know several different hats and ask, we're asking them to do several different things and it might not be something that they absolutely love so how do you get the best out of someone like that who's some of the things they're doing they love, some things they don't. What are some things that you as a leader can do to inspire to get the best out of them, Margaret? Great. Or Sonia, yeah, go I ahead, Sonia. Uh, to add to there, it's exactly what you said. One of the biggest things that I hear in coaching, and I think Margaret as well, is how can I inspire my team? How can I motivate? How can I engage my team? Just like you're asking, Phyllis. So one thing that I'll say to that is have Ask these kinds of questions. Ask, we're saying stop asking the wrong questions. Ask questions like, what, where does this person really exceed expectations? What are those, even if they're small, what are those places where the person does exceed expectations? What is it that does make the employee successful? Where is this employee implementing something really well? So it, even though that's not the easiest thing to see about one person, perhaps, so look for that. Shine a light on it. Margaret, please do add. Yeah, I would also add to that, Senya, um, questions around for the the employee that seems to be struggling is when are you at your best? And mm. ask that question. Describe for me, when are you at your best? Uh, Phyllis, you mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, when you're in that creative state and you're we call that flow, right? You're in a state mm. of flow. Well, finding out when are you at your best. I, I was on a coaching um, uh, session the other day with someone, and I asked about a particular employee, and I said, so what is he really good at? And he was unable to tell me, hmm. which told me that, wow, he doesn't really know his employee because he couldn't tell me what was one thing that he was good at. 
So get curious and find out because you can unlock that potential in the people that you have working for you. Ladies, we've got to take a short break, but now we're going to, you've already alluded to, you know, your team, how to, a leader can work with their team to get the best out of them, not the most, the best out of them. And when we come back after this short break, um, we're going to find out about uh, the team, how you hire the right team, how you engage the employees. So we've alluded to it. We're going to go into a little bit more detail right after this short break. Don't go away. Hi, this is Steve Kidd, the host of Thriving Entrepreneur. You can listen to us Tuesdays, noon Eastern, on the EWN Radio Network. I want you to know you are uniquely brilliant, created for a purpose. The world needs you, and we want to help. Listen to me and my guest Tuesdays, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on the EWN Radio Network as we help you learn how you can be a thriving entrepreneur. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. This is the EWN Radio Network. This is Close Up with your host, Phyllis Smith. And welcome back. Having really interesting conversation with Margaret Greenberg and Senya Maiman. They are the co-authors of a book called Profit from the Positive. And uh, this is about, this book is about creating an environment, a business environment, but you can also apply it to your personal life, being a leader at home. If you're a solopreneur or, you know, whether you have three people or 3,000 in your, in your company, uh, these are things that you can apply um, on all levels. So one of the things that uh, I think Margaret, you were just you were just talking about is the man, the, the the manager, I guess it was, who didn't. You asked, you know, what what are this? What is the employee's strengths? What what do they like? And and the manager really didn't know. And that um, my question to you is is that it's that would be really embarrassing for a manager. But let's say that there are people out there like that, that, that they don't know their employees. They don't know their, their, their struggles. They don't know what makes them happy and what makes them, you know, they don't, they don't know about that person, what, what, you know, what really get, you know, lights a fire for them. Um, how would uh, a manager, business owner, how did they start? 
that conversation with particularly somebody that maybe has been in business and working for them for quite a while? How do you start that conversation? Yeah, sure, Phyllis. You know, I think um, first I'd like to say this. I think so much of our time as managers is focused in on the work, and we forget that work is done by workers, by people. Um, so as much as we have to be really um, skilled uh, around the work and what needs to get done, we also need to develop skills around people. And, and that's what we try to do in Profit from the Positive. So where do you begin? Well, it, of course, there's assessments out on the market today that you can take. Um, some of them are free, like the uh, VIA, the uh, Values in Action assessment um, on the Authentic Happiness site. There's the Strengths Finders a tool that's very inexpensive just for the price of uh, the book, Strengths Finders, that you can take um, the online assessment. Um, but even if you don't want to take an assessment, you can simply ask three questions of your employees. And simply, they are, so what are you really good at? What kind of work really energizes you? And when are you at your best? So simple questions like that can uncover people's strengths. It's as and simple as that. Yeah, and, and I think it sounds to me that whether you have somebody working for you for years and it doesn't hurt to check in and, and ask, them, ask them that, those questions. Absolutely, because people change, too. And mm. once people master something, oftentimes they want to grow and learn something else or they want to become mentors for others. So really doing a check-in with your employees, regardless of their age and regardless of tenure, just to make sure that they still have their mojo, that they're still in the game and still really enjoying their work. And one of the things we know in positive psychology research is that there's three ways that people can view their work. Uh, some people view their work as a job that merely pays the bills. Some people view their work as a career in which they're continuing to grow and, and learn. And the third way people can perceive their work is that it's a calling, meaning they are so engaged, it's so meaningful for them that they would do this whether they got paid or not. Mm. And I would say Stenia and I are fortunate enough to uh, both um, view our work as coaches as a calling, that this is what we were meant to do. And so the mm. more you can cultivate people that with careers and callings, the more successful you're going to be, rather than someone that just comes in that wants to punch the clock and leave and are really not uh, engaged in their work. Well, Senya, can you take someone who views their job their their work as a job and turn them into a career thinker or a calling thinker you can you can with the right kind of questions and some degree of that person's own motivation and also i'll I'll caution that sometimes phyllis we don't necessarily need to do that it could be that that person is getting a ton of meaning from their hobby or their volunteer work or their family so it's not that everybody needs to turn their work into a career, but you certainly j just uh, let's talk about the difference between. So how do you like going to work? Beside between that and how did somebody that you provided a service to really benefit from it? How did you mm. help your customers? Help your customers leads to a more calling and meaning aspect. Whereas how did you like your work was okay. 
I love that. And even like for the re- a receptionist, you know, whose who's oh, life did you impact today? You know, just by answering the phone, having a conversation, because that is probably the most important job, I think, or one oh. of the most important jobs in a big company is that person that's answering the phone first for that company. True. That first face, that real, that impression of the company, and that research that Margaret just cited about job, career, and calling, that was actually done at a hospital and a lot of the people that were janitors at the hospital, you ask them, what do they do? I heal people. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So in your book, Profit from the Positive, the basically the first half is about the leader, identifying the kind of leader you are, how to become a certain kind of leader, how to implement that lead, those leader, that leadership. And then the second half is about your team. And, Margaret, you really were just talking about, both of you really talking about asking the right questions. The first one, of course, is how do you hire the right team? So these questions that you just referred to um, are that I imagine uh, that, Margaret, that applies to the hiring process as well, or is that something different? Well, I think we, we write about how important the questions are that you ask when you are interviewing someone. We have a tendency to ask people questions around what they would do in a particular situation, and we can kind of make that up uh, in any any interview. But a better predictor is to be asking questions around what people have done, and to really formulate questions in that in that way. So we like to call it um, hire for what's not on the resume. Uh, because, of course, there's mm. certain skill sets and experiences or education that you need for the job that uh, you're hiring for. But what's often overlooked are the more um, social and emotional intelligence skills, like collaboration and teamwork and their ability to learn. And we overlook those things. And those are the things that can really um, cause conflict later on uh, in, a, in a team right. environment. Mm-hmm. So we're big um, proponents of looking for and hiring for what's not on the resume by formulating questions that get at things like teamwork and collaboration and taking initiative. The so let's next, imagine. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, imagine, go ahead. for example, Phyllis, uh, collaboration. Um, your listeners on the phone now, and they're saying, um, you know what, um, I really need to make sure I have people that can collaborate and work together. So a question that you would ask in an interview uh, to the candidates would be, describe for me a time when you had to work with a really difficult team member to achieve results. How did you handle that? Mm. Because chances are, in our careers, we've all been in situations where we've had to work with really difficult people. And how did we continue to work and collaborate and be able to deliver results? Mm. And that would be a really important question to ask if collaboration is an important um, characteristic or quality that you need on your team. I would think, too, communication. Um, like, well, it, how, you know, if if you're feeling overwhelmed and you get something else piled on you, um, how would you handle that situation? Would you handle it and go to your manager and or boss and, and just and say, I'm overwhelmed, I need some help, 
or would you blow up? I mean, would would that be sort of like, or or give me some examples? Would you say give me some examples how you would have ha- you would ha- you have handled something like that in the past? Because who hasn't been correct? On it in would the be past? the latter. It would be what you just said. Describe for me a time where you you were overwhelmed and you had to. How did you handle that? What did you do? Right, mm-hmm. and you want them to describe how they've already behaved because that's the best predictor of how they're going to behave in the future. So the next, uh, uh, so hiring is the first thing. So how leaders are going to, this is how they create a fabulous team uh, that will ultimately create a fabulous business that is profitable and enjoyable to work at. Um, The second is engaging employees. Senya, tell me, explain that. Oh, I'd love to. We, this, uh, the section on engaging employees is one of the, sections in our book that most that a lot a lot of people comment on wow thank you now i have a way of speaking to our employees people say oh i really like your chapter six that's our engaging employees why why does that why does that resonate a lot with people it's it's what we mentioned before a lot of times leaders really want to know how can i inspire how can i motivate how can i engage so we give a few things we definitely say know their strengths those are the questions margaret talked about what is this person at the bet at their best what energizes the person so, yeah, know their strengths, know your team member's strengths, but then do more with that. So I'll, I'll give you an aspect of two things, flow and free. Flow is what we've already talked about. Phyllis, as a creative person, you want to be in flow when you want to be in flow. And when it's interrupted, you may lose a thread that you, right, that you want mm. to be following. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about it, if you're a programmer or someone who, who needs to be in flow, if you have a meeting at 10 a.m. and another meeting at 2 p.m., in a sense that means your morning is blown or your afternoon is blown because you need some, some programmers. Some can take those breaks, but a lot of programmers want that flow time. So how can you work with your team member to engage them, to really find out what works for them? Do they really want to be doing their creative work or their sit-down-and-get-things-done work in the morning? Perhaps you should have meetings with them in the afternoon. So try to be individual with the different team members and try to work with them. Does that make sense in terms of that flow concept? Yeah, and I really like that, the the individual, that there's not one size just doesn't fit all. Yeah, to that point, uh, Gallup, as, as Margaret said, is the uh, runs this strengths assessment called Strengths Finder. And of the 30-plus strengths in that strengths assessment, the one that Gallup highly recommends that every manager learn and do, do even more it's individualization. And what they mean by that is really get to know that individual, work towards that individual. You're, you're doing a benefit for yourself, for them, and for the company. So to, to add to what you said. You know, and before we go to break, we're going to take it one, hour, one last short break. But it's interesting when you – we are, we are in a culture, in an education culture, where children are not taught indivi- in, as individual students, as, as individual mm-hmm. learners. They're taught to take tests and they are supposed to fit into a box. And yet, and, and so I think that in a way that our culture, our, our business, our corporate culture, we, we respond because that's, that's what we know. That's all they know mm-hmm. is you all, we, I'm going to create this box and everybody has to fit in it here and I'm going to have this meeting at this time and this at this time. And, you know, <laughs> meantime, like you say, you're, you're, it just doesn't work for everybody. And so it seems to me that if this is a great start, but it, they, people really, it's like a lifestyle change. They have to change their entire way of thinking about things, that, that everyone in their office is individual. They're, they're different from each other, and they function and do well 
and succeed at different paces, at different times of the day, at different mm-hmm. activities. So I just love that. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, two more things uh, that a leader uh, can do uh, for to create a, a really fabulous, uh, fabulous team and a, and a wonderful, profitable business. So stand by after this short break. Are you an entrepreneur, coach, or consultant who is tired of constantly searching for the next client? Are you ready to get your expertise out of your head, into the world, and packaged into a profitable online course that delivers a steady stream of your perfect ideal clients to your door and a steady, predictable source of revenue? Hi, this is Janine Blackwell, creator of Create Six Figure Courses Virtual Bootcamp, And I've created my own seven-figure courses, and I've walked hundreds of experts like you through the step-by-step of creating and launching a profitable online course. I'd like to invite you to a free online training I'm hosting for you called The Seven Steps to Creating and Launching Your Profitable Online Course. I'm going to show you exactly how to create your course, market your course, and automate delivery of it so you can get your course up and running fast and have it work for you 24-7. You can grab your spot for this free training at www.createmyonlinecourse.com. So join me at www.createmyonlinecourse.com. Welcome back to Close Up with Phyllis Smith. Yes, welcome back. We have been speaking with... Margaret Greenberg and Senya Maiman, co-authors of the book Profit from the Positive, and uh, we've been. Their book covers, you know, all about. It's about leadership. It's about hiring and 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 sustaining a great team and creating an environment where I mean, where people will love to come to work and support you and be devoted. And why is that important? Truthfully, because we spend more time, seriously, we spend more time at work doing our work, uh, so many of us, than we do at home. And so if we can't create a wonderful environment and and change lives and make people's lives better uh, for for working in your in your business, for being a part of it and sharing this experience together, uh, then then we have, in my opinion, ladies, you know, we shouldn't be in business because we are impacting the lives of those people who come to my office and my business every day. And so I think that that's, you know, I might be a little harsh on that, but but you, but both Senya and Margaret are business coaches, so don't don't drop the ball yet. If you feel like you got people working and things are not going just right, they are business coaches and they can help turn things around for you. Um, and uh, so I just want two more things I want to go into in terms of how a leader can create a, a, a wonderful, supportive, devoted team. Uh, we talked about hiring, asking a lot, asking the right questions, uh, engaging uh, the employees, know their strengths, know their flow. The employees are individuals; they're just human beings that come to work every day, um, and 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 each one of us has a different flow. And that's I love that word. When are you in flow? So as a leader, you need mm-hmm. to ask those right questions. The next is performance reviews. So, um, uh, Margaret, tell us, in your opinion, performance, not opinion, research, performance reviews. What would be the best approach for that? Sure. 
Well, if you're like most people, uh, Phyllis, uh, performance reviews are generally dreaded. Uh, and as, as the name suggests, it, traditionally it's a time where you look back on what an employee uh, has achieved over the last six months or over the last year. Um, however, imagine if we use performance reviews to also preview performance and set up the conditions for a really successful year ahead. It's what sports psychologists have been doing for decades, where they get their clients to visualize you know, that perfect golf swing or that perfect downhill run. Well, having employees imagine what would a really successful year look like, and then how did they achieve it? and get really specific. So it kind of, again, turns performance reviews on its ear, and we call it preview, don't just mm -hmm. review performance, and get people to really think about what a successful year ahead uh, would look like. Would, would you then, yeah, and I, it, it, there is a huge difference. So do you then not go into this is what you've done? Do you think that you start that conversation, that performance review with a preview, with what you're, you know, what you're calling a preview performance? Well, I, there's still a place to review performance, we're saying, in addition to reviewing. And so Got I would it. say the biggest uh, piece of advice um, Sandy and I would offer is when you do review performance, be sure that you obsess over strengths, but don't ignore the weaknesses. So we're not mm -hmm. saying ignore, you know, don't, you know, any of their development areas, no. But really spend more time focusing in on what they've done right. Because mm. the bottom line is, Phyllis, when an employee walks out of a meeting like that, um, you want them to be motivated and energized, to want to do even more. And for the most part, Employees walk out of those performance reviews feeling deflated, demotivated, where, you know, they've had you know, a, a great year and then the boss nitpicks over this, you know, one little thing that they didn't do well. And and it just deflates, and they leave yeah. the, that meeting feeling anything but energized. So we like to think about, think of it as not conducting a performance review, but having more frequent conversations with employees about performance mm -hmm. and focus way more on what they're doing right because then they'll be much more open to correcting the things that they need to correct. And, and I do like that. Have more of them so that it doesn't sound like one mm -hmm. year goes by and then you find out, hey, that I, I sucked at that. <laughs> or, exactly. In fact, right? uh, one of our clients has what's called a no surprise rule where nothing can be brought up in the performance review that hasn't already been discussed but because mm -hmm. we shouldn't be saving those things you know, to the end of the year and then using them, you know, uh, to either, you know, ding the employee or gunny sack all these things and then, you know, dump it on the employee. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the last thing is meetings. Another dreaded thing is meetings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Phyllis, I think Margaret and I didn't quite think about it that, that way, but it's true. Hiring and performance reviews and meetings and how do I, why, how, why am I not engaging my employees? These are all dreaded things that we, yeah. we're presenting solutions to. That's true. <laughs> so meetings. Uh, you'll see that there's an underlying layer to a lot of what we talk about, like with performance reviews and which is energy, and it's the same in meetings. How do you keep that energy high? How do you keep it at a really nice tone? So meetings. We have too many. They're unproductive. Often participation is off, especially when everybody is on a phone meeting and multitasking. Meetings can be a problem. 
One manager that I coached, she had 18 direct reports. She was in meetings from 9 till 5. She had to do her work after 5 or on the weekend. Not oh, cool. my God. Not cool That's terrible. Yeah. It is terrible. You are absolutely right. It's terrible. So when you have meetings, first of all, actually, I change your one-hour meetings to 45-minute meetings whenever you can, and you probably always can. So that's just a practical thing. Like like we said, Margaret and I are all about practical. So change your meetings to that. And then energy. What I want to tell you about energy is this peak end rule that comes from research and that you can absolutely apply to business if you know it, which is I'll give you an example. For example, if you have gone to this phenomenal trip to Hawaii and you've had this peak experience, you flew in a helicopter over a volcano and everything was wonderful, and then you're checking out of the hotel room and you have either a bad experience checking out or a good experience, just like you said with the receptionist, right, at a business. Mm -hmm. You have either a bad or a good experience. That is going to really influence how you remember the entire Hawaii trip. There is research that the peak, so that amazing helicopter over the volcano experience, for example, and the end, literally the end, in our heads we do this funny math. We kind of average the peak and the end experiences, and that's how we, that's the blanket. That's our blanket memory that we put over the entire experience. What does that mean for us as business people? That means you want a peak in the meeting. You want something that's exciting, where people feel energized, excited, we're moving in the same direction, and you want to end the meeting on a good note. Don't just Mm. deflate it. And I don't just mean be positive at the end, but I actually mean celebrate a win or say, oh, and Joe in accounting did this last week. How great is that? Do something that's real, but that also gives information to your team. So something that's business-focused that ends on a positive note. That way you'll be doing the peak-end rule in your business. Very good. So we are running out of time. Um, really quick, where can people find you? And then we're going to end. We're going to end with the peak. <laughs> we're going to end with one tip <laughs> from each of you that people can walk away with and implement in their life in their business right now. So, how can people reach you? I'll, I'll start. This is Senya. I'll start with the one thing that you probably most want to remember about reaching us, and then I'll let Margaret talk about our. our main places. The one thing you'll probably want to remember is that we are delighted to offer Phyllis's listeners a free gift. This is a free gift for you solopreneurs, for you entrepreneurs, for you people that are in business and want something fun. Send us an email. This is what you do to get your free gift. Send an email to book at profitfromthepositive.com. That's the word book because it's a book. Book at profitfromthepositive.com to get your free gift. Okay, so so that bottom line is Profit from the Positive. Uh, you can find them on the website. This is Margaret Greenberg, Senya Myman. So we have in, in five, ten seconds, Margaret, tell us, Just it's up to you. Give us one thing that people can walk away right now and implement in their business. I'd say don't be stingy with your positive feedback. Recognize just one person. When you finish listening to this interview, go out and recognize one person on your team. Can you do one? And uh, Sonia, Sonia, can you do it right now? Ten seconds? Absolutely. Do one thing for two minutes each day. You decide, but make something into a habit that you do for two minutes every day at work. Uh, Whatever moves your business forward. All right, ladies, thank you so much. We've run out of time. I could talk to you forever. Again, Marco Greenberg, Senya Maiman, Profit from the Positive. (laughs) 